know, everything we think, do, and say all day long is dependent on someone's ability to put a nut and a bolt together. Otherwise, we'd be sitting naked in the field right now. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. Hey, it's Mikey from the Goonies. Well, the moral of the story is take your 10-year-old son to lose. Wait, an actress in charge of my money? A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have Emmy-nominated actor John Ratzenberger, or as you may know him, Cliff from Cheers, as he shares his favorite one-liner from the show, the importance of the working class in America, and inside info about Pixar and The Empire Strikes Back. So John Ratzenberger is one of the most prolific on-screen and voice actors in Hollywood. So in all time, something like one of the top five all time, you've got Samuel L. Jackson is just ahead of him. But otherwise, including voice parts and everything else, he is just, he's in so many different things and has such a wealth of knowledge and stories and, and everything else. Now, being a huge Star Wars fan, we've got the Solo movie coming up later this year. I'm I'm a huge Star Wars fan, so I had to lead off by saying, what was it like working on the set of Star Wars Empire Strikes Back? Well, for an actor with four lines, it's a job. So yeah. you show up, you know, you hope your car gets you there, doesn't uh-huh. break down. And, um, you know, they give you the uniform and tell you where to stand. But the, the magic magic to me is, because I'm always a, a, a big fan of the uh, the process and the, the really the construction and how... How it all works and how it's all put together, but the sets and the uh, the props and the planes that just fascinated me. But there's no way to uh, telegraph or know how big that movie's going to be. It was the same thing with uh, Cheers. It's a bunch of guys sitting at a bar. You know, if you were if you were just one character, if you had to pick one character to to be forever, who would it be? Well, I uh, you know, it's interesting because I did uh, a two man improvised comedy show throughout Europe for mm-hmm. six years. We're based in London, that's where we'd start our shows, then we'd tour them through Europe, and then eventually come back to London, take a break, then uh, put together another show. The shows themselves, we would do f- 10 to 15 characters apiece. Uh, in the show, there was no break. Each show was about an hour, hour and a half. But it was the characters that I created during that show uh, of that six years some of those are my favorite characters because uh, there was one character I did just uh, he had a long uh, great coat on, uh, it was a uh, trench coat, kind of ratty and tatty, and you know a little hat askew, and there was a pillar with uh, one of those desk bells from a hotel, and I did a half hour show with no dialogue, just with that bell, Com- a comedy, uh, and it was uh, you know, standing ovations and but. To me, that was just, it was, I'm a big fan of uh, Stan Laurel, for instance, because Stan, and watching him and growing up, watching him, the, all the comedy lives between the words. And so I tried it without the words and just do the comedy, and it does work. Wow. And another great uh, exponent of that is Jacques Tati from Mr. Hulot's Holiday. But uh, that's, that was one of the characters uh, I, would, I would love to do again. And another character I created called Captain Cretton. Who's a nearsighted superhero who never <laughs> quite found the window when there was an emergency? Go, I'll take care of it, and they hit the wall <laughs> and just knock himself out. And just, but just trying to get out of the room was a chore for this guy. <laughs> uh, but I, I enjoyed I enjoyed that time. I enjoyed those characters. But in the popular culture, boy, because I invented the character of Cliff on Cheers, so I, 
Yeah, he's a he's a favorite. Um, <laughs> he always I always had to bite my lip on Cheers because I, I, I to stop myself from laughing because <laughs> it was so ridiculous. And they would let me make up my own lines uh, from time to time. Jimmy Burroughs would say something like, uh, "Hey rats, uh, you know, fill in uh, two minutes." And then the cameras would go, and I'd fill in two minutes. Uh, and uh, one of my favorite ones was I had the, all the guys in the bar around me, and I said, come here, come here, before the camera came out. I said, so uh, that gentleman is how the tractor seat was invented. <laughs> <laughs> because that tells the story, that tells you everything you got to know. You know, the, the tractor seat, why the tractor seat? <laughs> you know, there's so many different levels to that, and that short phrase, that that was the beauty of the character. And everybody knows somebody like that. From the Pixar films, kind of what's your favorite, what's your favorite there, what's your favorite line to say out of those? Well, the one my favorite character to record is P.T. Flea, uh, because he's so avaricious. He'd sell his grandmother for for a nickel, um, <laughs> for a bottle cap probably. But he's one of those characters, and you meet people like this from time to time, where you you wonder if they ever sleep because they're always always going after the buck and you know trying to make a deal and flim flamming people, <laughs> and it always cracks me up. You know, they think that nobody else realizes it. And they're always on the go, always on the go. So, you know, B.T. Flea, one of his his lines, uh, one of my favorites, uh, Flaming Death! Because when the circus falls apart, he, he shoots himself out of a can. <laughs> and it shoots flames and sets himself on fire, basically. And it just always cracks me up. You know, you started as a as a carpenter. and had Oh, that yep. You know, when you talk to audiences, what's kind of the message that, that you really want to get out to them? Well, uh, because I know and they know and everybody in manufacturing and construction knows is that we're running out of skilled trade people. So I try not to bring sand to the beach, but I <laughs> try to um, explain uh, how this happened, how it happened, uh -huh. why it happened. And uh, certainly it's uh, entitlement. Uh, parents, and when I talk to women's organizations, I'll talk about this, that it's okay if your child doesn't want to go to college and wants to be a stonemason. And I'll go through the reasons why. Because that's what brought us to the dance. It's really people who made things or make things, are, are that's the reason we're such a strong culture. It has nothing to do with actors or sports celebrities. <laughs> and I know it shocks a lot of people. But it's, it's uh, you know, everything we think, do, and say all day long is dependent on someone's ability to put a nut and a bolt together. Otherwise, we'd be sitting naked in a field right now. <laughs> I'd have a leaf on it at least. Because look, every, everything, everything here. Mm -hmm. Someone showed up at, to work and put that thing together. But what we've done is we've stripped our society of those people. Because the 60s came along, and prior to the 60s, we honored success. The 60s, we started to honor failure. And we started making fun of the people who worked hard. So through popular media, movies, TV, we look at it and here's someone depicting a carpenter or plumber. And the movie itself, the story makes fun of that person. So why would a child growing up seeing that depiction want to be that? They want to be the 16-year-old wise guy, you know, like the breakfast club or, you know, smoking dope and chillaxing. And that's what we honor now, and that's why we've gotten ourselves into a lot of trouble. But also there's the entitlement issue, especially, 
you know, with uh, when I talk to audiences with a lot of uh, HR people and CEOs, and they recognize it because it's you. Know, you have people showing up. A girl that I, I know, um, she showed up to an interview, um, fresh out of college, and and told the HR person that, um, yeah, I'd like to, i like this job, but I need Wednesday afternoons off because that's when I get my hair done. <laughs> so I explain how that happened. It's because in our society, you know, we're also a society that we we honor mediocrity. We give actually awards for being mediocre now. You know, it's it's uh, when I was a kid, you for literally if you stunk, the coach say, "Whoo, boy, you stink." <laughs> go go look for something else to do. But now, apparently, uh, they give you a uniform and they you know you you're guaranteed to play. And even if you come in eleventh place and never hit a ball. You're getting an award. You're getting a trophy because they're afraid to hurt your feelings, and that all comes out of the Woodstock ethos, the nonsense. So it's affected affected us all on various different levels of how we perceive each other. Uh, competition. Well, what do you mean competition is no good? I mean that exists in nature. I mean one tree is competing with another tree for sunshine. That's the basis of growth and strength because it just makes you better. But we've taken that away. We don't we don't keep score. I don't know if you've run into this here, but uh, the kids keep score. Yeah. But the parents <laughs> like, oh no, we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Yeah. Well, if my no. feelings weren't hurt, it literally by the coach say, hey, you stink, I wouldn't have tried harder. And yeah. finally made the team, the first baseman. So it would have kept me away from that experience, but most importantly, it gave me and a lot of kids of, uh, then the opportunity to face an emotional crisis and work through it when you're eight years old and do it yourself. You know, you didn't have to have uh, psychologists and have meetings and lay on anybody's couch. You had to say, oh man, you kick a can or cry a little bit or you know, punch a tree, and you only do that once, by the way. It's <laughs> just, just the one time. It's the one time. <laughs> But you get to work through it, and now, in our society, you could be 30 years old and never had had to work through an emotional crisis. But then we work through it all the time. See, we were, the concept of, of playing, we go outside and play, um, we were problem solving. That's all we did, solve problems. So again, we took that away from kids. And so we've taken so much away in the and uh, under the guise of it, it, it's better for them, because they don't want to hurt their feelings, and that's basically all you're doing because you're you're setting them up for a, a failure later on in life. Now, from that, um, you, know, you talk a lot about rewarding success, and obviously, you've been incredibly successful. Both, you know, you know, need, just somebody who was a, a couple of books. <laughs> I think so. I was already off camera already. All right, all but. Right. Uh, but uh, you know, and you know, as an actor, and then also just personally, I know you like the success of actually finishing a project. So you do your hands. If you were to give somebody, say, these are one or two things to work towards being successful to help make you successful, you know, going from your background, what would you tell somebody? Get out of your own way. Your body and your mind know exactly what to do in every situation. I don't care what it is. Your job is to get out of your way. It's uh, it goes back to Japanese Zen archery. It's or even grab them a piece of paper and throw it in the wastebasket. If you don't think about that throw, you go like this, 
it's going in. <laughs> yeah. But as soon as you crumple and go, ah, you're never going to get it in. You know, the Zen Archer, it's, it was that. It was just getting out of their own way. But they put an arrow through a big piece of canvas and put the next arrow through the same hole repeatedly. And that's the basis of uh, that, that type of archery. But I'm sure Kobe Bryant does the same thing. You just get out of your own way. And because that's where all the problems start. When you start overthinking, doubting yourself, but it's just, it's, it's just, it's just cleaner and clearer and it just feels so much better because you, somehow you always succeed. And, and I always take um, uh, great pleasure in uh, Winston Churchill's famous quote, which is, success comes from going from failure to failure with enthusiasm. <laughs> And because uh, that's uh, that's how I started. Uh, you know, just got up on stage, no background in theater, and in front of an audience, and failed miserably. I said, okay, next time it's not going to be so bad. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ING was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in the third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of Dean Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Jout, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.